Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. We've been taking an extended look at Christian commitment here early in January 2014. We've been taking some time to consider what it would mean for us as Christians to risk all of who we are and what we have on Jesus Christ. What would it really mean to risk all of who we are and what we have to put at the very center of our lives Jesus, his teachings, his revelation, and what God is doing through him and how that might impact and reorder the way that we live our lives. We've been using this image from a poker game where there comes that point, sometimes in a game where a player with lots of chips pushes all those chips to the center and says, I'm all in. They risk it all that they are right that they're taking the right step, that they're moving in the right direction, that this is the right time to risk it all. That's an image that caught my attention because of the boldness, the kind of courage it seems like it would take to make that move. I'm not that kind of risk taker usually, but I thought we might learn something by thinking about that in terms of our own Christian commitment. We've been looking at that, and we're looking at the characteristics of what it looks like when we go all in as a follower of Jesus Christ. We've been drawing on some of the wisdom of John Wesley, founder of Methodism, in terms of what that looks like, in terms of practical steps or practical advice that he gave his early followers who wanted to go deeper in their faith, that wanted to be more serious about their commitment as a Christian or as a follower of Christ. We began last week looking at three general rules that Wesley put together. We spent some time on the very first one last week. If you were here, you probably remember it. I put it in your outline. Wesley said, first, do no harm. First, do no harm. Make sure that you're not hurting others by the way that you're living. My niece has been married a few years. She sent me an email some time ago. It was entitled, Spring Classes Forming Soon. 
Then it had a classification that said classes for men, several new offerings. Here were some of the things that they were going to help us with. Fundamental differences between the laundry hamper and the floor. <laughs> Pictures with explanatory graphics will be presented. Then in a driving section, there were a couple of classes. The first one was real men ask for directions. It can be done. Live testimonials, Tuesdays at 6, location to be to determined. With the bonus section, how to remember to call when you know you're going to be late. Another one, is it genetically impossible to sit quietly while she parallel parks? Driving simulations, four sessions. Everyone will get to experience it firsthand. The last one was listed as this. Newsflash, bringing her flowers poses no health hazard. PowerPoint presentations will be used. Class begins Friday at 7 p.m. Then in parentheses, we bet you are free. All that is to say in a fun way for men, but really for any and all disciples... It might be more difficult to do no harm than we would first think. Sometimes all of us need a little help to maintain our commitments, to fulfill those things that we think and say we want to do, but sometimes we fall short. So John Wesley advises those seeking help by saying, first, do no harm. Then Wesley advises those who are seriously seeking to live a more holy life, divided, devoted to Christ, he says this, secondly, do good. This is how he writes it in his own notes. It is expected of all who continue in these societies that they should continue to evidence their desire of salvation, secondly, by doing good, by being in every kind merciful after their power. As they have opportunity doing good of every possible sort and as far as possible to all people. He adds some specifics by suggesting we pay attention to doing good to people's bodies. He says by giving food to the hungry, by clothing the naked, by visiting or helping them that are sick or in prison. But he also says we should do good in terms of feeding people's souls by instructing, reproving, exhorting all we have interaction with whenever we have opportunity. So first, do no harm. Secondly, do good. We got these instructions because people came to John Wesley needing some help. He began to organize them in small bands to look at these general rules to assess where they were in their Christian life to support and encourage one another. From those small bands spread across England, we have grown to a worldwide denomination. The United Methodist Church now numbers millions around the globe. Because of that, we have structured ourselves to do good in some sweeping and remarkable ways. We have been able, because as a denomination, we have made a commitment that whenever we receive offerings in a local church, that we will also take a little portion of that, pool it with the other United Methodist churches for mission and ministry beyond the walls of our local church and even beyond 
the bounds of our own communities. So over the years, we have had mission efforts around the world. We have started schools. We have sent teachers. We've built hospitals. We've built orphanages. We've provided clean drinking water. We have sent food. We have sent medicine. We have sent healthcare personnel around the world to feed the souls and bodies of our brothers and sisters in Christ or sometimes to bring them to Christ for the very first time. If you are a United Methodist and you've made any gift or contribution to a local United Methodist church, you've been a part of that worldwide mission and ministry that's changed the lives of thousands, yea, millions of people. Did you know the United Methodist Church has started over a thousand churches just in the last few years? Did you know that in the former Soviet Union we've started over a hundred churches in the last few years? in eight different countries across 11 different time zones. We're bringing people to Christ and bringing the good news to their lives. But not only that, we've started over 500 churches around the world just in the last few years. We've started over 600 churches within the U.S. in the last few years trying to open doors to people to come to Christ that they might know the forgiving and grace-filled love of Jesus Christ. We made a commitment a few years ago to try to end malaria on the continent of Africa in an effort to eradicate it from the planet. We have literally raised millions of dollars toward that effort. We are making some good progress. Deaths of children under five years old, the ones who are mainly impacted, have dropped significantly on that continent. Bishop Thomas Bickerton is going to be here. He's from Pennsylvania. He's going to be our Barton Clinton Gordy lecturer in just a few weeks. I'm sure he will be talking to us more about what we're doing because he's been the person who we have asked to lead that effort to eradicate malaria. I'm looking forward to having an update, to hearing what he has to say. He's been there. He's seen us distributing bed nets and building clinics and training healthcare workers to stop this disease which is preventable and yet is killing so many people right now. Well, Matthew in our text describes all of that kind of work like this. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. If you have your Bibles open, we're at verse 16. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. God is bringing us light through Jesus Christ and the United Methodist Church is doing the same. We're bringing hope and the love of God and light to the world in so many ways. Every time we make any contribution, a small portion of that goes to make it possible for us to spread the light where there is darkness. Matthew describes that that's the work of Jesus Christ, that he's fulfilling this prophecy. But then right after that, Matthew goes on to talk about this calling of individuals, how Jesus called these individuals to join him, and immediately they did so. You hear that? Just on two different occasions, called these brothers, come and follow me, and Matthew says they dropped their nets, they got out of the boat, and they followed him. 
It illuminates the importance for us of taking a step in faith that when we feel the prompting of God in our lives, when we feel the invitation to take a step in faith, that we do so immediately. That's what Matthew's describing for us. If I can paraphrase it, I think he says those four guys went all in. Right? They stopped what they were doing and reordered and reprioritized their lives because of the call of Jesus Christ when it came to them in that clear way on that particular day. It's important for us to respond to the call of Christ if we're going to be all in. It's important for us to take a step closer to being a deeply devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. We try to give you opportunities to do that. We have partnered with Burroughs Elementary. We have offered lots of opportunities to run up the road a few miles and help those students and teachers out. You can be a reading buddy. It takes about 30 minutes when you're willing to go to read with a student to help them gain some proficiency. Most of us could do that if we would reorder our priorities to make time to do so. Or you can volunteer to go on one of our volunteer and mission enterprises that we'll be launching this year. There'll be several opportunities to go on a short-term trip to another place to serve in the name of Christ. Most of us could look at those and find one of those trips we could go on, but we might have to reorder our time or our priorities to make that fit in to our lives. We're working on starting a Thursday night ministry, serving those who we feel are underserved around the church here. We're going to have a meal. We're going to have worship. We're going to try to create a support network of allies to help people who need some extra support to develop a plan to break out of the poverty cycle. We'll need all kinds of volunteers. You could be one of those. You could be a servant leader. You could take a step in faith to do that. Or maybe Sunday morning is your time. I've asked Dr. Bill Kroll to work on a plan where we have greeters in the parking lots and we have transportation assisting people to get to the building when they need that assistance. You could volunteer to be one of those greeters or to stand at the door and welcome people when they come. You know, it completely changes a visitor or a guest attitude and even a member when there's a smiling face standing at the door when they get there. It's a different experience to have some welcome you before you ever get in the building than it is to walk all the way and sit down and have no one speak to you. You could be one of those greeters if you wanted to. You could impact somebody's life. You could take that step in faith perhaps and do that on a Sunday morning. We're ramping up our special needs ministry. We know we have families who have people who have some special needs who need a one-on-one -on -one buddy or they're not able to come to church, to worship, and to Sunday school or to come to Wednesday night activities. So we will help train you. We'll help you know how to interface with a person with special needs if you're willing to take that step in faith. Just so many different ways that you could do that. You could think of another dozen that you could do beyond the walls of this church if you felt like God was calling you to do that the important thing is to think and pray and take a step think about it and pray about it and
take a step. Structure doing good into your life. That's what John Wesley suggested to those early followers. You have to build this in to your life. You need to develop some commitment and then some structure to do so. But you know, it's easy to find excuses of why we don't act. A friend of mine sent me a list of excuses people use about why they don't participate in church but applied it to sporting events or games they might go to watch. Listen to these. I don't go to games anymore because my parents took me too many times as a child. Every time I went, they asked for money. Last time I went, someone was sitting in my favorite seat, so I don't go anymore. That one time I went, the coach called plays I thought were flat wrong, so I quit attending. You know, I went one time, the band played songs I'd never heard before, so I'm not going back. Now, this either illuminates the power or the lack thereof of what it means to make a commitment and follow through. He had a few more here. How about these? The games are scheduled on my only day off, so I don't go. Some games went into overtime and lasted way too long. That was it for me. I don't want to bring my kids because I want them to decide for themselves which sports they will follow once they're adults. Oh, well, I used to go to games but missed a few and just kind of got out of the habit so I don't go anymore. You may have heard some of those. You may have used some of those. But what happens when we find that we're making more excuses and finding more excuses rather than reasons to follow through on our commitments? Well, what Matthew tells us Jesus says to those who are around him is in verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, you've probably heard before, means not only being sorry or sorrowful for something you have done or failed to do that you should have done, but it means to turn, to turn away from those choices and to turn toward God. In other words, to take a step in a better direction. I want to look at the wisdom of John Wesley again. Look at his third general rule. The third thing he said these folks should do is attend to the ordinances of God. He talks about this third one just like all the others and says that we should continue to give evidence in our lives of our desire to live out our salvation. And then he lists several things that we should be involved in, that are practices that are counseled for us to participate in through Scripture. So Wesley recommended public worship. You're here, so really good on the first one. Public Bible study. Well, we're doing that, so you're two for two. Holy Communion is the third one. Come next week, we'll be celebrating Holy Communion here at 8, 30, and 11. Or if you want, go with Dr. Tankersley out this door into the chapel. We'll have a brief communion service in there right after this one. So Holy Communion is one of those practices. Then he moves on to family and private prayer, personal Bible study, and then fasting. He says these six practices are revealed to us in Scripture as important ways to grow closer to God. That these are the time-tested experiences that we can participate in that will grow us as faithful 
followers of Christ that will shape us into the people that God wants us to be. You can use them as a checklist. You can use them as a guide. But figure out how to use them in your Christian life and walk, and it will make a difference. Wesley says these aren't random suggestions that these are revealed in Scripture, that these come from God, that people have found these to be those experiences or practices that draw them closer and connect them to God more deeply. Are you using those six ways to grow closer to God in your life right now? He says they are the sufficient rule for our faith and practice as Christians. And that they are offered to us as those things which will keep us closer to God when practiced. It takes some action on our part. A contemporary author, Bishop Reuben Job, one of our retired United Methodist pastors, has written a little book called Three Simple Rules... He rewords this last one about attending to the ordinances of God. I like his phrase. He says these practices help us stay in love with God. Staying in love with God, he says, is what this third general rule is all about. It's a way that we keep our relationship with God nurtured and growing and alive. I think it probably is a little bit of a wake-up call for many of us 